You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at IWU. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Evangelical Christians will not always agree on the specifics of governance or the best roads to social reform. However, from our understanding that all people are made in the image of God, we do hold many callings and commitments in common, including protecting religious freedom and liberty of conscience, safeguarding the nature and sanctity of human life, strengthening marriages, families, and children, seeking justice and compassion for the poor and vulnerable, preserving human rights, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, promoting just peace and restraining violence, and caring for God's creation. Now, in case you didn't have anything to do this afternoon or this morning or this evening, whenever you are listening to it, to this podcast, that list might give you something that you could start to tackle. That's a pretty wide list. The words come from for the health of the nation, an evangelical call to civic responsibility put forward and written by the National Association of Evangelicals. And I'm delighted that we have here today with us Galen Carey uh, from the National Association of Evangelicals to help to talk to us about the basis for Christian civic engagement. Welcome, Galen. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Now, just before we started the podcast, we were chatting a little bit about our our listeners, and I was saying that I think a lot of our listeners really want to have good order of allegiance, right? They want it, they they understand that they are they have a number of allegiances, right? They have they have uh, both natural and and maybe you could say you know accidental allegiances. So they have natural allegiances to family, and then they they have other allegiances that that just kind of happen to have been the case, like a. Uh, an allegiance to a country, right? They've got nat- they've got natural ones and some accidental ones, and then they have ones that are are by conviction, right? Um, they've got an allegiance to Christ. He has claimed them for His kingdom, and I think uh, as I kind of watch social media and, I, and I'm reading some of my friends' uh, blog posts or the articles they're sharing, I can sometimes see that these allegiances, while they they my friends want to order them well. They want to put them in the right order, which comes first, which comes second. Uh, sometimes these allegiances are pitted against each other. Can you talk to us a little bit about why have you crafted this document, which argues that Christians can be well allied appropriately with appropriate order? Why have you written this document to help us order these allegiances? Sure. Well, I think we start with the, our allegiance to Jesus Christ, and that's foundational to everything in our lives. Or at least should be, and when we uh, are ordered around our commitment to Christ, then we see that other relationships flow from that, and in fact, uh, our commitment to uh, to Christ leads us into caring for families, uh, being part of a church, uh, caring for our local communities, and uh, being active citizens, uh, and, and involved in volunteer work, and, and so forth. They all of these different uh, relationships and institutions that God has given us for the common good uh, fit together very nicely when we see that they all are, are flowing from our commitment to Christ. Now, you use the phrase, uh, what God has given to us for the common good. So many of our listeners are going to be uh, Wesleyan in background, and, and Wesleyans don't do as good a job about talking about the common good as some of our Reformed brothers and sisters do. Can you share with us a little bit about what do you mean by the common good? Sure. Well, we know that uh, God created uh, 
human beings and the the, the whole um, earth and all of creation, and uh, meant it to be uh, something that he saw as good and that, that was meant to bless us, and that we are involved with God as uh, co-creators, as those in, responsible to tend uh, and care for what he has given us and to develop it. And so uh, God didn't intend for us to live as isolated individuals, uh, but he brought man and woman together in marriage, and he brought us together into communities. And then as we read in uh, Romans 13 and other passages, we understand that he's given us uh, government uh, as a way of blessing the people, protecting us, uh, caring for the needs of the poor. And those are all things uh, that are important to God and should be important to us. And we're able to work on those jointly with our fellow human beings, fellow citizens. Uh, that's part of the joy of uh, being a follower of Jesus. I like how you phrase that part part of the joy is finding ways to collaborate, to work alongside, to partner up, even with people that might have different uh, religious convictions from us, right? They they are are part of a sphere, a public sphere that we're we're trying to invest in and to enjoy. And like you said, we can draw joy from that. And yet we can sometimes forget that those partnerships are there. I, I want to tell just a, a, a brief vignette that just happened to me. Um, and then one of the ways that it was challenging to me, a friend of mine recently had a, a, a very, a, a neighbor to them, uh, get into some trouble, their, their family, uh, into some trouble. I think there was some violence and, and, uh, children are, are being taken away and, and all these things. And he's asking as a pastor, how does he, how does he come in and support? And one of the ways I encouraged was find out who else is handling this case alongside, right? With, through the through social services and police and, and other people, find out who is who is handling this case and to try and be a resource to them and to and to lean on that, that that's a sign of God's grace, that there are structures in place to help really complex and, and, and very broken situations. Uh, the reason that that story stood out to me is because just that very same day, I had been listening to a scholar that was a Christian scholar, sociologist, who had been um, an expert in the field of domestic violence. And what her findings revealed were that people who are often working within the system, so to speak, uh, including um, legal system, social services, police, is that the presence of uh, religious figures in those complex situations of domestic violence was often not helpful. They often did not want the church to be involved for different ways. I shouldn't say the church. They didn't want religious leaders to be involved. And there was a number of reasons that she gave. And I thought, what an, what an interesting state of affairs that, that some of these religious leaders were not being redemptive figures in these complex situations. And yet we could take it as a sign of God's grace that there are structures in place that can be very effective and helpful and for, to which we can give uh, thanks and glory to God that these, these things are in place uh, to help people in these tough circumstances. Um, do you have any reflections on what does it mean for Christians to to be involved civilly from their points of religious leadership that can um, show us to be um, alongside other people in, in positions of responsibility, like police, like legal system, like social services? How can Christian leaders uh, engage civilly with those with those partners as we try to enjoy the common good that are the structure of the common good that God has given to us. Well, of course, we're invited in Scripture to pray for 
our leaders, and I, I would take that to mean not only for politicians uh, and government leaders, but those involved in uh, law enforcement and in all aspects of um, a well-ordered society. Uh, so we recognize that they have difficult responsibilities and they need our support. And Christians uh, should uh, aspire to serve in those roles as well. Uh, we shouldn't think that the only way to really serve God is uh, to become a, a pastor or a missionary, but indeed all of these vocations that are involved in uh, seeking the common good are important ways that Christians serve, whether in a in an employed context or as volunteers. So there's a sense of providing the spiritual undergirding, right? The spiritual support, validating uh, the calls that people might have to different kinds of, of civil affairs, whether it's some kind of law enforcement or legal profession or, or medical uh, medical field or, or whatever else. There's a support uh, through prayer. There's a validation of the vocations. Um, I recall one time, uh, it was very convicting to me. Uh, the uh, it was a chapel speaker whenever I was in college. They were talking about how easy it can be to to cut down nameless people, right? The, uh, whether it was counselors or just the doctors of an area or, or whatever else, it was easy to cut down nameless people, and how that was not that was not a redemptive action. And I really appreciated that that affirmation. That's what I hear you affirming here is how do we pray for those people and, and not just to leave them as nameless people, but to know the names of people in, in the legal, in our um, law enforcement, right? To, to know our sheriffs or to know, to know people who are, are in those positions of authority, to know who's on our town council and who the mayor is, right? And so that we can not just leave them as nameless individuals, but as named figures who are, are um, ones that we're told to pray for. Yes, indeed. And in fact, uh, in the National Association of Evangelicals, we often, uh, when we are meeting with uh, our elected officials or other people in positions of uh, public service, we offer to pray for them. And I've yet to have anybody turn us down. Uh, people appreciate the need for prayer, even if they may not be a believer themselves, but uh, they're appreciative when we offer and when we do pray for them. You've listed a number of really important issues in the document for the health of the nation. Um, I read I read them at the start of the of the podcast as well. You're talking about strengthening marriages, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, restraining violence, uh, supporting religious freedom and liberty of conscience. A number of issues. One of the challenges that I can sometimes sense is that we want to almost pit one issue against another. Right. It's, it's like I've got my team and this is the issue that we care about. You're on that team and that's the issue you care about. And while I might say that that issue is important, I really actually just don't belong to that team. So I'm not going to care about it as much. Right. That's that's kind of what I sometimes feel is the is the conversation. How do you how do you help uh, or how do you suggest that we not pit issues against one another, but try to have a more holistic approach to uh, working for the common good? Well, we start by recognizing that different people may have different callings. And so as we try to point out in, in the document, uh, it, it may be that a particular person is called to work mainly on caring for the poor or mainly on uh, protecting the unborn or mainly on one, promoting peace and so forth, uh, but that all of these issues are interconnected. Uh, and that, in fact, we won't get very far in one area if the other areas are suffering. 
So, for example, if we neglect the area of religious freedom, uh, we may find that our charities uh, are having difficulty operating because of uh, changes in the public policy uh, arena. And so we want to respect the callings of our fellow citizens and our fellow believers and support them, recognizing that while we know one person or even one church can address every issue, we need each other and that in order to have a well-ordered society, we need many people doing many different things. Let me take what you've, you've just shared, many people doing many different things, and certainly people come from different backgrounds, have different gifts and capacities as well to be involved in, in civic affairs and try to be promoting and, and working for the common good. One of the things that you uh, work out in this document uh, for the health of the nation is by supporting what you call structures of public life. And you, you talk about uh, representative democracy. You write this, uh, we believe that representative democracy offers the best potential for honoring the fact that every individual is made in the image of God with capacity for creativity, responsible decision-making, pursuing the conditions of biblical justice and caring for the natural world that God has made. All right, I, I read this and, and what my you know small imagination can sometimes go to is representative democracy means casting my ballot right it means it means checking the box beside who i think will will do a good job representing me in my area uh, most appropriately can you help me and maybe our listeners kind of expand out how does representative democracy um, give us an opportunity to have a really robust participation in civil affairs. Maybe we can't be ones who are leading nonprofits or who are swaying public opinion, but does representative democracy give us a chance to do more than just check a ballot? It certainly does. And of course, uh, we would never want to underestimate the importance and the privilege it is to have the right to vote. And so we should certainly be doing that. And uh, an alarming number of citizens and even Christians don't uh, even bother to go to the polls and cast a vote. So that's, that's I think, fundamental. But as you rightly point out, there's so much more uh, that we are privileged to be able to do. And we're privileged to be in a country where we have a, a high degree of freedom to express our views, to organize our fellow citizens, and so becoming informed about issues, uh, getting to know the people that are uh, responsible for various things that are important to us, and then seeing how we can support what they're doing or, as the case may be, challenge what they're doing if we think it's not, they're not going in the right direction. Those are all ways that, that we can uh, participate. Uh, we can write letters to the editor of our local paper uh, to express a perspective on something. Uh, we can uh, host meetings in our home or just in our conversations with the barber or people that we meet. Uh, we can talk about issues that we think need to be addressed. And then as, as God gives us further opportunities, we can do more, but at least we can be engaged and learning from others and sharing with others so that there's a lively civic uh, dialogue in a respectful way, of course, so that we're not uh, making enemies, but we're building bridges. I appreciate one of the emphases that you have in this document as well is, is emphasizing humility and civility. Uh, you write that as sinners who are thankful for God's grace, 
we know that we do not always live up to our civic responsibility, right? There's a there's a way that we get caught in the systems as well of, of engaging with one another. One of the most prevalent ways that people have to share their their public their their political opinions and to uh, uh, declare their political actions, of course, is with social media. In your own work uh, through the National Association of Evangelicals, or, or perhaps even anecdotally, how have you seen people use social media well so that we have something to emulate? Uh, how have you seen them use social media appropriately to engage in civil uh, discourse and civic affairs, but with humility as well? How have you seen that happen? Well, I think when people express their views in a positive and constructive way they can share information they can share perspective and they can ask questions that uh, prompt people to think uh, all the things can be done without denigrating uh, one's opponents or those who may disagree with us and if we're able to uh, respectfully uh, present uh, on the public uh, in the public arena what we are wanting to put forth, uh, that will be a testimony for Christ as well as uh, for what we're talking about because that's it's actually so rare. Uh, so one way I like to think about it is if uh, whenever you're writing a comment online, imagine that there's a live person sitting with you in the same room and how would you talk mm -hmm. to that person about the issue? Most of us wouldn't shout uh, at a live person sitting next to us, but we often shout in our social media posts in ways that are really quite embarrassing. Hmm. I like how you use the language of, of shouting, right? There's a sense of, of using that as a megaphone so that you hope everybody hears it in the exact same way. And yet whenever I think about just the everydayness of discourse, if somebody is far away from me, uh, I don't speak to them in the same way that I speak to somebody who is sitting right next to me. And I don't speak to somebody who's sitting right next to me, side by side, the same way that I speak to somebody who's across from me, right? Who who is maybe looking in a different direction than I am. I speak to them differently. And yet, if we're friends with a variety of people, no doubt we do have people who are far from us on any issue, or we have people who sit side by side us on an issue, or we have people who are are kind of close to us but looking across, looking in different directions on an issue. And and yet we only have the same voice. And I say that you know by thinking about how I engage on social media as well, that, you know, I, I usually have the same voice, but in, in regular, just talking to people, I don't speak the same way depending on where they are positioned to me in everyday life. Indeed. And, and you make the point that uh, we need to have friends uh, of many different backgrounds and, and opinions. And very oftentimes we tend to isolate ourselves into silos where we're only hearing from people that we agree with and perhaps we turn on the television to our favorite channel and we only listen to commentators that we already agree with. And in doing that, uh, we're uh, at great risk ourselves of not understanding the whole picture and, and then we don't have the relational basis for reaching out across differences to try to come to common agreements, which are very often are possible uh, when we uh, are willing to take a risk and, and step out that way. One of the things that you address, address in the document is preserving human rights. And I, I sometimes read that, that this language of rights is something that can become so individualized that it ends up simply um, not really having much to say to the public, to the common good, but is really just focused on 
uh, what what I what I can get, what I'm entitled to, what I can do, and it, it becomes very individualized and, and atomistic. Uh, I'm wondering if you can talk to us about why is preserving human rights important, and what does that mean uh, from a more corporate point of view? Well, first of all, we recognize that all people are made in God's image, and so there's an inherent dignity that needs to be respected. And that's true on the personal level, but as well, uh, the way in which our society treats uh, people, both those who are poor and marginalized, uh, those who are prisoners, uh, immigrants, um, and any group of people that are uh, at risk of of being mistreated. Uh, we can have policies and we need to have policies that protect those people. So for example, we in the National Association of Evangelicals worked very hard uh, for the passage of the Prison Rape Elimination Act because what we believe whatever anyone did that has uh, resulted in them going to prison, rape is not part of the sentence and there needs to be ways of protecting mm -hmm. people even when we take their freedom away, we don't uh, take their dignity away. So I was just last week at a um, graduation of a prison fellowship academy where uh, you have prisoners who spent a year in prison, but studying the Bible and studying um, how to be good citizens together. That sort of thing upholds human dignity and allows them when they leave the prison uh, to be able to function well and productively rather than returning to a life of, of crime. Uh, similarly with uh, the area of torture, you know, we have taken a strong position in opposition to torture, which we believe is contrary uh, to the dignity that God intends for every person uh, to have, and as well as being ineffective um, in practical terms. Uh, but on the, on the level of principle, it's something that we need to have strong policies about otherwise with the depravity that we know is part of not only individuals but organizations and institutions we will find that that dignity is being violated i i think it's so important one of the things that that you emphasize um this is this is page 38 if you're following along i also want to encourage people to to get a copy of for the health of the nation document you can find it at uh www.nae.net uh, slash for the health of the nation with dashes in between each word nae.net and you can find the document there uh, but you you write how it's so important that um, the effects of not treating people with dignity can become very pervasive right that there are devastating and long-lasting human and financial consequences not just for individuals but families and societies at large whenever people are not treated with appropriate dignity um, and specifically with issues of recidivism and 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 prison reform um whenever people aren't treated with dignity that it's not just them who suffer it's it there's systematic impacts of it i i, I pastored in a, a fairly small small city um before coming to teach at the seminary and i was speaking with one of the the chaplains of uh for the police force and he was telling me about how the police officers need to, he called it, how they need to learn how to be a cop in a small city because you lock somebody up 
maybe for the weekend or maybe from longer, but your kids end up going to school together or, or your grandson is in this, is in the same classes as, as their, as their son, right? There's the, the relationships are, mm-hmm. are embedded. They're connected and, and you want to foster good relationships. Now, not everybody's in a small city. Sometimes we're in small towns, which might know more about one another's business. And maybe they're in large cities where there's a certain amount of anonymity. But I think the point is just the same. Um, just because we don't see how these interpersonal relationships create um, or, or have ongoing influences doesn't mean that they don't. And so I think it was so helpful that you point out that not treating people with dignity in whatever form doesn't just stop at the person who's being undignified. That has ongoing reaches and ongoing consequences. Yes, it certainly does. And that's a, that's an important reason that we need to be careful, not only how we treat others, even how we talk about them. And when we talk about uh, whether it's people of a different race or ethnicity or people from different countries or people of different statuses, the way we talk about people helps to create an environment in which uh, we and as well as others will be well treated. And it's also the way of Jesus and that should be enough in itself. So you've got listeners here, leaders from churches, both clergy and lay. Uh, if you could kind of summarize part of your own heartbeat, Galen, that, that this is what you want people of influence who love God, who love the church, who want to exercise their faith in public. This is what you would like them to know. What would you maybe say in some kind of summary way? Well, let's recognize that God has given us a wonderful opportunity and privilege uh, to be part of a nation in which we're free to live and serve and care for others. Let's become involved in all areas of society. Let's bring the light of Christ and the gospel into every corner of our society because we know that it all matters to God. And then in doing so, we'll be honoring uh, the image of God in each person will be submitting to the Lordship of Christ in every area of life and will be participating in and helping to advance the kingdom of God, uh, which brings hope to every human being. Let me share some of the takeaways that I've got from the conversation. And then if there's anything else that you think might be helpful to kind of expand our practical imaginations, I'd love for you to, to share it with us. I mean, I, I leave this conversation and I'm thinking about how do I become informed? How do I get to know district attorney? Just even just to know who they are, right? How do I how do I get to know and find out who the mayor is and who's on the who's on the the council? How do I start to give names to, names to people? And as you, as you just said, how do I speak about the other, regardless of who it is, political official, immigrant, uh, single parent, whoever else? Um, how do I speak about them as another person with uh, whom, I, whom I want to, to dignify? How do I have language that's intentionally about that? Um, so those are some of those are some of my takeaways, right? Becoming more uh, educated and and spiritually in tune to pray for those who I'm commanded to pray for. What are some of the other uh, practical, imaginative pieces that that you might say these are really helpful for for leaders to take away? Well, I would say that, you know, God has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so I would start uh, by praying and and just talking with the Lord and asking, you know, 
out of these many ideas, what, which one would you like me to start with and who might you bring to mind that I need to reach out to? Uh, what problem is our community facing that I might um, be led to have a role in, in addressing? And in, in that interactive relationship with God, I think the Spirit will lead us into which area that we need to engage. And then also when that happens, the Spirit will also empower us so that what we do will not only uh, be in the right direction, but will have an impact well beyond our, our, what our personal ability could, could achieve. I would say for those who are, are leaders, pastors, or professors, uh, think as well about how you can guide your parishioners, your students, uh, in thinking about these same things. So, so the, for the health of the nation makes an excellent um, curriculum for uh, an adult education class in a church or for um, a, a class in a college or high school even, where uh, civics is one of the things that need to be uh, learned. Uh, look for ways uh, to share what you're learning with those that God has put uh, into your charge. Well, I've I've accomplished my civic duty then in recording this podcast today and by making it public. That was a bit of a joke. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I read through the document and, and it, it's helpful because it's a consistent encouraging, encouraging document, right? It, it's um, discussing for the health of the nation put forward and published by the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, it's an encouragement. It's an encouraging document. It's one that, that doesn't throw up its hands and say there's nothing to do. It's not the one that passes the buck and says that's for somebody else to do. But it's one that also points out, you know, consistent in small ways that people can be involved, telling the truth by listening, by being civil, by being humble. And uh, and I really appreciate it. It's, it's being crafted and, and put forward and, and offered to um not just to evangelicals, but hopefully those who identify as evangelical uh, will will pick it up and give it a read, so that they have a, a sense of what do other what do other evangelicals what are they active in that I can agree with, even if the same issue isn't isn't the depth of my heartbeat, but I can still see them as one that um, put together we're providing a, a robust and and uh, full sense of uh, appropriate Christian action for the common good. So I really appreciate you writing it and, and publishing it for us. And Galen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, and thank you for helping to get the word out. We really, really appreciate it. And we appreciate all you're doing. Check out the NAE.net and you can find there the, for the health of the nation document, which uh, Galen Carey and I have been discussing today. And we hope that it's been an encouragement to you, not one that kind of raises more issues than what you've been, uh, we're aware or even issues, but ones that can, can pique your interest and, and stir your heart to be involved in promoting the common good from a Christian perspective and from your own uh, posture of being rooted in Christ and uh, being allied to him, first of all, but from that position of security, being a redemptive person in myriad ways. Uh, in your own community. Thanks so much for tuning in and joining us. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.